section seven of the seven lively arts this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the seven lively arts by gilbert seldes mr dooley meet mr lardner one of the most illuminating things van wyck brooks ever said about himself was that mr dooley is already forgotten it was particularly illuminating because mr brooks was in england when he made that statement and it was some time before nineteen fourteen and it happens that it was in england in nineteen seventeen that i was made to understand how living mr dooley is how relevant to affairs and situations of the moment and how much english men and women consider him as one of the better items in the heritage of americans the writer of the ordeal of mark twain is an invaluable critic for america yet one wishes that he too could see mr dooley's place in our literature one still hopes that he will begin to enjoy ring lardner the juxtaposition of these two names would be reasonable even if both of them did not write in slang for one is the greatest of our retired satirists and the other has every chance if not every intention of becoming the greatest of our active ones i should like to say at once that i am not addressing an open letter to dear mr lardner bidding him while there is yet time to think on higher things i do not want him to forswear for a moment his hold on the popular imagination nor to write for a more judicious clientele i am satisfied to have mr lardner amuse me if the strain of satire in him is an accident and he prefers to go on with his slang humour i can always read mr dooley or dean swift but if the growing vein of satire in all of lardner's work is what i think it is he has much to learn from mr dooley i shall presently come to mr dooley and indicate what it is lardner can learn in those beautiful pages the main thing is that he is probably the only man in america with the capacity of learning the lesson of the master and happily he can learn it without ceasing for a moment to live in his own world i do not wish to force upon him the ordeal of being worried about there may have been a time when mr lardner gave cause for worry perhaps when you know me al had run as long as it needed to run one might have feared that mr lardner having discovered the american language as his medium simply didn't know what to do with it if his humour was going to depend for ever on one-sided and foretaste and odd misspellings it might cease to be funny it was necessary in short that mr lardner should have something personal to say he has answered the question of his future by showing the beginnings of a first-rate satirist continuing the tradition of mark twain and mr dooley and having these tentatives in mind we can begin to look back and wonder whether he wasn't always something of a satirist unconsciously
the dates may confound my argument so i will omit them substantially lardner began writing the letters of a busher just when the more serious magazines were exploiting the intellectual idea of inside baseball those were the days and they must have been funny we feel circa nineteen twenty three when the bought and sold world series and the letters of the fishing pitcher and such like scandal are in our memories carefully tucked away because the honor of the national game is safe in the hands of a dictator those were the days when the manager of a baseball team was regarded as a combination of a captain of finance later events rather justified that assumption a freud and an unborn einstein a fine body of college graduates clean living sport loving well-read boys were the players and a sport loving game for the game's sake body of men the enthusiasts huey fullerton and paul elbermore might be seen any day in the same column and john j mcgraw who allowed himself to be called muggsy to show what a good democrat he was lunched daily at the president's table into this pretentious parade mr lardner injected the busher and baseball has never recovered the busher was simply a roughneck and a fool a braggart and a liar he was on occasions a good ball player and he seemed to be inflated with the hot air which had been written about him he pricked the bubble and i do not wonder that haywood brown despairing of making interesting his accounts of a recent world series publicly prayed to god to change places with him for duration nothing short of divine power could save them it is a long time since the days of the busher and when lardner returned to baseball it was clear that the subject interested him in no degree and that he had changed much as a writer it is not necessary to belittle the earlier work only to note that in nineteen twenty two the lardner touch was much more deft that the language was both richer and more accurate and that he was continually writing parodies sometimes of a phrase often of a whole style three or four of the reports he wrote for the new york american were jewels and although they had little to do with baseball they must have been written in the few hours which intervened between the end of a game and the moment of going to press the whole series of articles ought to be reprinted i'm limited to snatches from two of them the first set the theme that lardner had promised his wife a fur coat from his winnings he had bet on the yankees the headline was rings mrs out of luck on fur coat and then followed well friends you can imagine my surprise and horror when i found out to-night that the impression had got around some way or another that as soon as this serious was over i was planning to buy a expensive fur coat for my missus and put a lot of money into same and buy a coat that would probably run up into hundreds and hundreds of dollars well i did not mean to give no such kind of a impression and i certainly hope that my little article was not read that way by everybody uh, especially 
around my little home because in the first place i'm not a sucker enough to invest hundreds and hundreds of dollars in a garment which the chances are that the missus will not wear it more than a couple times all winter as the way it looks now we are liable to have the most openest winter in history and if women folks should walk along the street in inexpensive fur coats in the kind of weather which it looks like we are going to have why they would only be laughed at and anyway i believe a couple can have a whole lot better time in winter staying home and reading a good book or maybe have a few friends in to play bridge further and more i met a man at supper last night that has been in the fur business all his life and ain't did nothing you might say only deal in furs and this man says that there are a great many furs in this world which is reasonable price that has got as much warmth in them as high-priced furs and looks a great deal better for inst he says that a man is a sucker to invest thousands and thousands of dollars in expensive furs like ermine mule skin squirrel skin and kerensky when for a hundred dollars or not even that much why a man can buy a owl skin or horse skin or weasel skin garment that looks like big dough and practically prostrates people with the heat when they wear them so i hope my readers will put a quietus on the silly rumor that i am planning to plunge in the fur market i will see that my missus is dressed in as warm a style as she has been accustomed to but neither her or i is the kind that likes to make a big show and go up and down fifth ave sweltering in a seven hundred dollar hogskin garment in order so as people will turn around and gap at us live and let live is my slocum if this were not funny its secondary qualities would not be worth noting the single sentence which makes up the second paragraph is a miracle of condensation for it contains the whole mind and character of the individual created behind it it is not ring lardner obviously and at the same time it is a miracle of the ear for the rhythm and intonation of the american spoken language is perfectly caught and held in it what is the use of babbitt in five hundred pages if we have lardner in five hundred words the fur episode was continued two days later the yankees continuing to lose and three kittens three members of what is sometimes referred to as the feline tribe out at mr lardner's heavily mortgaged home and great neck is practically doomed you might say because mr lardner has met a man who has did nothing all his life but sell and wear fur coats and who assured him that cat-skin garments no bigger than a guest towel were all the rage and had been seen on some of the best-dressed women in new york strolling up and down tenth avenue these three little members of the feline tribe is the cutest and best behaved kitties in all catdom their conduct having always been above reproaches outside of a tendency on the part of ringer to bite strangers knuckles nowhere on long island is there a more lovable trio of grimalkins and how it pierces my old heart 
to think that some day next week these three little fellows must be shot down like a dog so as their fur can be fashioned into a warm winter coat for she who their antics has so often caused to screech with laughter the annihilation of the whole black beauty beautiful joe style of writing in the last sentence is complete and is accomplished with the retention of lardner's own peculiarities it may shock mr lardner to know that he has done in little what mr joyce has done on the grand scale in ulysses indeed i feel that there must be hidden parody in the earlier writings of mr lardner too because he is so clean in handling it now satire in detail he had there is a dictionary of it in his one word hell elsewhere in a series later than you know me al he has described a half fatuous half hard-headed roughneck dragging his silly and scheming wife and sister-in-law through the hotels and apartments of the backwash of society and the story grew more and more sardonic more and more entertaining little of the aimless sickly trivial life of the merely prosperous escaped him unlike mr dooley his chief concerns were private ones it is only recently that he has touched upon public affairs for a long time his only universal was baseball a form of entertainment which now bores him exceedingly he is also bored i gathered from an interview in the new york globe with the sort of fiction he has been writing and amuses himself with writing plays but as a satirist he is turning slowly towards matters of pith and the question of his ultimate rank depends on this can he as he broadens out retain the swift destructive and tremendously funny turn of phrase the hard and resistant mind the gaiety of spirit which have made him a humorist can he in short learn from mr dooley and remain mr lardner for many reasons i think he can between the busher and these newspaper reports mr lardner has written much among his ephemera even there are many pages not to be lost i shall return to them after drawing a long course with mr dooley as my centre for it is one of the significant things about mr dooley that you must always keep him in your eye when you are scanning the horizon for an american satirist mr dooley was a satirist of the highest order and an excellent humorist the combination is interesting psychoanalysts may determine at a later date that the reason he wrote in dialect was that he was afraid to attack the american people directly i prefer to believe that the good sense of his creator finley peter dunn to be sure but one always thinks of martin dooley in his independent existence saw that a benevolent humour was the correct medium for a satire adequate to america and that is america's good fortune read the criticism of american warfare and politics as developed in the satire of mr dooley and compare it with the satire of french politics and warfare as expressed in the irony of anatole france without measuring the quality of the one by the other think only that each is adequate to the subject less than the bitterness of penguin island and the histoire contemporaine would not have served for france more than the laughter of dooley would have been disproportionate and unmanly for us satire is like parody in admitting the integrity of the subject it is a pruning knife applied for the good of the tree and irony is a dagger 
with corrosive poison at the tip satire is proper to america because essentially the satirist believes that life is all right and that only the extravagances and frailties of american life at the moment of writing need correction or are subject to mockery the frenchman in a highly organized society which he takes to be not only the best expression of life but life itself turns to irony as his natural mode when he is confronted with the ineluctable vision of its evil the danger is to be sure that our satirists remain superficial when the thing is done roughly without much humour with no rich sense of the vastness and variety of the comic carnival we get little more than the eternal wisecrack and the wisecrack is no more entertaining in misspelled english than it is in capital letters no more in pigeon than in yiddish i do not mean that george ade and wallace Irwin and bill nye and montague glass haven't each a special quality which makes for amusement i do mean that they lack the great general qualities of knowing and understanding which create humour an illustration would do more than any defining to make the difference clear the japanese schoolboy used to begin his letters to on editor and ringlardner is i suppose the only man in america who can begin well friends ambrose bierce is generally supposed to have had this quality certainly he had intelligence and wrote respectable english with a cold pen his dictionary does not impress me as the work of a spirit naturally ironical Aid wrote satirically a long time ago once in a while something occurs in the fables to justify the claim of which f p a is the curator there is much more in artemus ward whose glory is kept alive worthily by the sardonic leader writer of the free man mr albert j nock as language neither aid nor ward approaches in interest the studies of mark twain in life on the mississippi nor those of dooley and lardner the difference between bill nye and ward on one side and montague glass and lardner on the other is that the former did not use an actually viable language or dialect but used distortions of english for a specific effect i am far from suggesting that ward did not use american notably nor that his language is the better part of his work he was a real satirist it is my guess that in the beginning the misspelled words signified that the speaker was the hard sensible common man with none of your refinements juvenile and johnson may have been superior to the thing attacked it pleased the democratic american to pretend to be beneath it the literary success of the dialects is another matter which any one who believes that ours is still an anglo-saxon country would do well to consider montague glass is particularly interesting in this respect he impresses me as being neither a wise nor a foolish man but a smart one what gave him his vogue was his conformity with the norm of business acuteness and his use of a highly complex private racial idiom which expresses a highly complex integrated almost secret racial life he transferred almost transliterated it into recognizable at least understandable english with such a climax as i wish i were dead god forbid which was recognized by the populace as a part of american life ten years before mr henry ford bought the protocols the racial dialect is also exploited but not with so reliable an ear by hugh wiley in his negro stories it is possible that the stories of octavus roy cohen are more accurate they are not so entertaining but the life they represent is in any case too near to america to be surprising to us
i'm convinced that nearly all of mr dooley and nearly all of the later lardner would stand without dialect it is not an odd-looking word that impresses most in mr dooley's masterpieces about the dreyfus case the witness will confine himself to forgeries is english as swift would have written it and is neither better nor worse than how the divil can they perjure themselves if they ain't sworn or let us proceed says the partial and fair-minded judge to the thrill evanious monster cap dreyfus he says up jumps zola and says he in french jackus he says which is a hell of a main thing to say to any man and they thrun him out judge says the attorney for the defence and gentleman if the jury he says you're a liar says the judge cap you're guilty and you know it he says let us proceed to hearin the testimony he says be this time zola has come back and he jumps up and says he jackus he says and they thrun him out it is no wonder that this passage was reprinted by the new york evening post after the expulsion of the socialists from albany nearly everything serious and duly has the same relevance and one reads about war experts and disqualifying the enemy in relation to the spanish-american and boer wars with a slightly dizzying sensation that this man has said everything that needed to be said twenty years in advance of his time we needed him badly during the war but a comic song about him had somehow withdrawn his name from the rank of great literature and we had to do with sad second bests there isn't a chance in the world that he will be forgotten because he is recognized in england and we shall some day reimport his reputation for he has the great advantage of being at the same time a humorist and a social historian an everyday philosopher and the homme moyen sensuel his qualities are so immediate that analyzing them appears superfluous he gets his effects by distortion not by exaggeration when he told mr roosevelt to call the next edition of his book alone in cubia he extracted an essence from it rather than inflated it his adversatives are surprising and devastating he conceives a blood is thicker than water speech in these terms from the english to the american foolish and frivolous people cheap but through-hearted and insincere cousins ye are ra savage but interestin sometimes he leaves out the butt they was followed be the generals if the friend rich me stalwart fearless men with coarse disagreeable faces his unexpectedness goes farther he once said that left alone general shafter could have taken sandago without losing an ounce i do not wish to write a literary essay about mr dooley and having mentioned swift i have little to say i must admit that the irish of mr dooley is stage irish what makes it acceptable is that it is entirely dooley irish and whatever the spelling whatever the oddities of words the intonation is always right for of course it is possible to write a dialect without imitation of sound and to do it effectively and honestly sherwood anderson has done it in i want to know why and in i'm a fool lardner has done it in the golden honeymoon and the amiable efforts of mr john v a weaver are ineffective because in nine out of ten cases he is setting slang words well observed and accurately recorded to the rhythm of literary english 
mr dooley's rhythm is always that of the estimable easy-going barkeeper who is speaking one looks back with a certain envy to the time when a barkeeper could talk about the world our present social situation is disjected and the period before the war seems incredibly calm and halcyon it seems to us that then america was settling into the character it had made for itself in the civil war a time of consolidation and certainty a minor passion for social justice seems to have been the only great force hostile to that sense of security and self-satisfaction without which no civilization can become sophisticated and refined it was preeminently the time when a satirist could exist mr dooley is the proof that he did he understood his america as in his time and without bitterness he makes it live again ten years from now if we settle down mr lardner may have another such opportunity for the moment he is driven to the surface he has no poids d'appui for his attack in a bewildering and unsure civilization he is himself unsure it is possible that he will become so accustomed to shallow waters that he will never venture into deep i should be sorry because he has qualities too precious to be wasted he is developing a strain of wild imagination of something approaching fantasy and his occasional pieces of fiction are far beyond the average of stories written in america the golden honeymoon which mr edward j o'brien had the acumen to put in his collection of the best stories in nineteen twenty two is almost a masterpiece it has a sort of artistic wisdom is without tricks and is beautifully written he has also written a burlesque which failed drearily with the forty-niners and a sketch the bullpen in which the busher reappeared which was a moderate success in the zigfield follies this piece and the golden honeymoon show a fresh tendency on lardner's part to understate they are actually quiet as if he were tired of noisiness i do not think he is tired of anything in an interview recently he said some philosopher once said that if you want a thing badly when you're young you're likely to get too much of it before you're old i hope to god he knew what he was talking about he is afraid of nothing one fancies he doesn't care for too many things he grew weary a little while ago of the literary diaries published from week to week by the highbrows these records of who they seen and talked to and what they done since the last time we heard from them and so he wrote his own for the new york sunday american among the items chronicled were when i got home susa was there and we played some brahms and grieg with me at the piano and him at one end of a cornet how well you play lardy was susa's remark brahms called up in the evening and him and his wife come over and played rummy this is grotesque but he knows his subject at breakfast with mayor highland and senator lodge went home and played some rubinstein on the black keys president harding called up long distance to say hello the missus talked to him as i was playing with the cat took a ride on the long island r r to study human nature and so on it is a little better than verbal parody is it not lardy mr lardner pretends still to feel some of the he-man's contempt for letters suggesting at the same time the fat-headed pride of a real estate broker who has had a patriotic poem printed in the local paper he is as sherwood anderson says sticking to the gang but he is wise and witty and he has few compunctions about being vulgar it is his most precious asset for in america the fear of vulgarity is the beginning of deadness a base if i may quote mr dooley End of section seven